Have you ever um, had this thought? Have you ever had the thought that one day um, I will be full enough, that I'll be full enough of comfort, full enough of achievement, of prestige, of people liking me, of whatever it might be, safety, or being right about things even, full enough of those things. Uh, full enough that you could say, maybe not in these exact words, but I, I'm okay. I've, I've saved myself of the vulnerability of not having those things. I think about, um, I think about uh, detergent commercials, like when they hold up the two socks, like the dingy sock and they're like the really white sock. And, and they're like, yeah, if you buy this detergent, you won't have this problem anymore. Like all your whites won't be so dingy. Your colors will be bright. And the mom in that commercial always looks like serene. Like she has achieved serenity. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea detergent could bring that much fulfillment in my life. And that's exactly what they want you to think, right? Because humans made those commercials and they know. Um, that we are searching for that. We're searching for something to fill us up so we can feel okay about ourselves, right, safe, and whole. But what if you didn't need to try to just fill yourself up, but you could actually, you could actually be connected and united to the one who was full and safe and whole? that's part of what's happening in this passage is Paul's talking about how we share the mind of the Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next uh, several minutes together. And I want to give you a little background uh, as to uh, where Paul's mind set is himself as he's writing this letter uh, to the Philippians. He's in jail and uh, he is has been visited by one of uh, the Philippians, one of the, the church members, and they've dropped off some food and stuff to him. And while his visitor was there, uh, he wrote this letter, penned this letter, to take back to the church. This church was the first uh, church in Eastern Europe, and it was planted by Paul and some of his friends, and the story's in Acts 16. And... It's very interesting in Philippi, this city where the you know the Philippians are, um, it's a it's a town populated by retired soldiers, Roman soldiers. So you could probably guess how patriotic it is in this town. Um, and and here you're going to see lots of statues of Caesar, and then you've got this collection of people who are Christians, but what they would have been known as at that time was people who believed in a different king than Caesar, ones who believed and followed a crucified Jewish king and held the authority of that king over the king of Caesar. And so the people in Philippi were persecuted, and they were harassed, and Paul knows that, and he's writing this letter to them and he's trying to remind them and teach them and encourage them not to live by the value system that 
the Christians see and know there, which is it's difficult because how do we how do we determine our values? We determine them largely by the people around us and the culture around us. And so the the culture there, they valued strength, they valued pride, they valued taking advantage of whatever opportunities you possibly could. And um, humility was not a value that was aspired to uh, in, in Philippi. If you think about the soldiers there and serving Caesar and being retired uh, from, from that profession and the culture around Roman dominance and authority, humility was not something that anyone wanted. Humility was something that you would be relegated to or that you had to settle for. Like, well, I didn't achieve any power and authority. I wasn't strong enough, fast enough, clever enough to take advantage of these other people in these other situations. So I'm left with trying to be humble so that maybe people will be nice to me because I don't have any power. I don't have any authority. And so that, I'm sure, because as we, as we look at the book of Philippians, we see disputes that Paul's trying to help solve for them. But I'm sure that was a temptation, a big temptation uh, for the Philippians. And I don't know if you've realized it yet, but those values are very similar to American values. They're very similar to what we hold up, people who can achieve a lot, who can take advantage of lots of opportunities, um, this is, you know, what our capitalist spirit is based in. It's being able to um, really believe in yourself and get a lot done and appear sh- strong and powerful. That's something, you know, that our president talks about all the time as being strong and he takes advantage of these opportunities and all these types of things. And then here Paul's writing from prison, right? And he needs food and he needs resources. And by all accounts, Paul is not winning in, in the eyes of, of the Philippian culture or, or of this Roman world. He's, he's unpatriotic. He's proclaiming this crucified Jewish Messiah. He's without possessions, in prison, and he's just sitting there. He doesn't know if he's going to get executed or if they're going to let him go. And he says, you know, later that, you know, uh, hey, if they kill me, that's great because I'll be with Christ. If they let me go, that's not as good, but I'll still get to work and help more people learn about Jesus. He wasn't, you know, because because in America we 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 have a like a, a thin layer of humility because of the Christianity kind of sprinkled into our culture. But he wasn't like the way we talk about humility, uh, um, humility in our culture, like. A celebrity who, oh, he's so humble. Like, what's his name? Uh, Bill and Ted. What's the dude's name? Uh, Keanu Reeves. Like, oh, Keanu Reeves. He's so humble. Now, it's a bad example. Keanu Reeves is actually like a really good dude, but like in general, we sort of um, deify celebrities and politicians as these humble, misunderstood people. And in general, those are people who have been willing to do whatever it takes to achieve as much power and authority to amass as much stuff, wealth, power, likes, whatever. And so we kind of ascribe humility to them. Paul's none of those things. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it, it reminds me of like Donald Trump talk, talking about uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name, um, Mitt Romney, not Mitt Romney, um, John, John McCain. Uh, he's like talking about him, like I don't like people who 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 were who got captured. Like those people are losers. I don't like losers. You know, like Paul would have been uh, definitely considered a loser sitting here in prison talking about this Jewish guy who died on a cross and that he is not following Caesar. And then he's trying to write a letter to the Philippians saying like, hey, don't act like these folks who've conquered all the Western world. You're in a different kingdom. Wow. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's no wonder why we struggle with this idea of Christianity in America and so many people are pointing fingers and saying that Christians are hypocrites and things like that. Uh, because we don't live in a culture where Caesar is distinct from Jesus for the most part. We live in a culture where those things are intertwined uh, and, and, and where people think they're on the winning team by supporting power gra- power grabs um, and all of those types of things and thinking that that is in line with the gospel of Jesus, okay? But here's a question. Are you winning right now? Maybe you feel like you are. I don't know, are you winning in your, in your family, life, um, in... in how you are navigating the stress of the pandemic, of the political discourse in your internal life, do you feel like you're winning? Uh, because we want to feel that way. Uh, we, and, and we want to feel like, stay with me, this is coming back around to what we're talking about. We want to feel like things are black and white and that we're choosing what's right. And we usually decide that by the context of the tribe that we're in. That's why Paul was talking to the Philippians in the town of retired Roman soldiers. And he's trying to say like, hey, you're living differently. Remember, right? Because when we get around people who we feel like we belong to or we're in that tribe, that's usually how we start thinking about if we're winning or losing is what the people in our tribe are saying. And... um we're in a country right now that feels like we're all winners. Like we're all on the right side and we're also on the brink of chaos right now. Like we're on the brink of so much chaos in our country. Um, and, um, you know, we, this whole, this whole passage here is, is talking about like imitating Christ and, and having the same mind of Christ. And part of the problem, I think, for, for people with a religious mindset in our country right now is we don't, this is not something we're wrestling over because we think Jesus is always on our side. Like, we're like, yeah, of course I got, you know, Christ. Jesus is on my side. He's the same, you know, political party and he falls on the same issues the exact same way I do of all these things that are important to us. Like those paintings of seeing like, Jesus's hand guiding Trump's pen, like signing executive orders. You seen those on Facebook or like all the proliferation of like the memes of like putting the holy family of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, like in a cage, you know, like the immigrants like that. And there's just the, and then there's these huge manifestos that people are writing, 
you know, off of these pictures, and they just think, like, surely God is perfectly aligned with everything I already think and feel. And so we feel like we're winning, but our whole country is on the brink of chaos. So Paul's asking, and he's pleading with the Philippians, he's saying, let the same mind be in you as in Christ Jesus. And it's just like, yeah, okay, well, I kind of already do. If I thought my opinion wasn't right, I'd get another one, right? Um, and and it's it's like this group think, right? I don't know if any of you have seen that the documentary, The Social Dilemma, yet, but it shows us how our social media is curated to reinforce all the things we already believe so that we'll stay on the social media because it feels so good to us. And it seems like in this in this scripture that Paul is almost saying like, yeah, groupthink is good when he says in the first couple of verses here, he says like, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, be in full accord and have one mind. It's almost like he's saying, he's reinforcing this idea that critics of Christians and religious people are often saying like, you guys don't think for yourself. You just think like you love Jesus or you love God and then you don't have to think. Um, you got to think for yourself, right? That's something Americans, we, we really feel proud that we do, but we rarely engage in any of it. We rarely think for ourselves. Uh, so what what is the, the same mind, though, that Paul's talking about? Because that's key. That is the crux to all of this. This is why you should care about this passage, even if you feel completely right in all the things that you believe and you think God is on your side, because this is what he's saying about it. In verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This is not how you win. This is not winning uh, with power and might and power grabs and taking advantage of every opportunity and and stepping over any person to get there. That this what Paul says right here, nothing from selfish ambition, regard others as better than yourselves, look not to your own interests but the interests of others. This is not how you win. This is how you treat people with an immense amount of value and worth. And it takes an incredible amount of faith to do this. Just know, I mean, you could just think about like when you get mad at your your friend or your spouse and the, the little stray thoughts you have in your mind or how you, how you treat them out loud sometimes. Like, it's hard to do this. Um, and I think we'd all like to think of ourselves as living this way, of thinking of others this way. Um, and maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you do. But most of us, we struggle with this. We struggle. We want to argue until we're right. We disregard the, what we're doing to the environment. Our oceans are filling up with plastic. We've got wildfires, we've got uh, global warming, we've got all these things going on, and we're living the same exact lifestyle, and we're just, we're good with it. We hold on to these opinions that are ill-formed, and we don't, we're not able to challenge them. And so how do we, how do we change? If we think we need to change, if we're convinced that change is necessary for us to be able to live like this, what are, what are the options? How do we do it? Well, you know, prayer, right? You pray. You pray you and you ask God. And 
um, you know, I've I've tried this to varying effects, just to pray and like ask God this certain kind of praying. Um, we're going to talk about different kinds of praying, uh, but this first kind of just like talking to God, right? Just like asking uh, God, like, "Hey, change me, make me this way." I think that's a really good thing to do. Um, part of the problem for me is. So often my prayers, when I'm talking to God, they end up being filled by other things. Like, growing up, it's like, um, am I really saved? Like, please accept me. Am I going to heaven or hell? Like, over and over. I know some of you, that's your story too, right? Or like, you know, um, please get me this girlfriend or this job or, uh, you know, this raise or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever you want or heal me from this sickness, or help me pass this test. So my prayer time gets filled up real fast, instead of asking for humility and these, these type of things. And, and then I ask, when, when I do ask, I'm kind of left with willpower to kind of to make it happen. Like, it's like, well, you're supposed to trust the Holy Spirit, but what if I don't feel the Holy Spirit doing anything, and so then I'm left to try to just like, oh, what would Jesus do? You know, like that big whole movement, like, Oh, I just got to think what would Jesus do and then I'll be able to do it. But we we've already talked about this morning like we we're so full of all this information and all this stuff. We don't know what we we don't know what Jesus would do because we're so convinced he's already going to be doing what we've decided is right. Like he's already on my team. Like, oh, well what would Jesus do? Well, I already did it. I'm good, right? Like I'm good. I'm either going to hell and scared or no, Jesus yeah, he's he's on my team and and we're all good. So, um there's got to be an, another option, and I'm happy to tell you there are other options, and we're going to talk about one of them. Um so in this passage, Paul talks about something here. Um he 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 talks about um sharing the same mind as the mind of Christ. And he says he says it in this translation, he says, having the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Sometimes this is translated as having uh, a, like a Christ consciousness, okay? And um, he's saying this is how you achieve this in your relationships with others. You have the same mind, and one translation says, let your mind be the same as the one that was in Christ Jesus. And then he says he 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 um, references this poem that was circulating, this hymn uh, that was circulating at the time. Uh, he he quotes it here, and he says in it um, that that Jesus, uh, who being in the very nature of God, or form, or shape, or likeness of God, did not consider equality. This is in verse six something to be equality with God, something to be exploited or used to his own advantage. So he's in the very nature of God. And, and it's interesting, there's actually a parallel here with Adam, with the first man, Adam, that Adam was made in the image of God. And then it says that he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage or exploited or grasped. Adam did. This is, this is, our, this is our deal right? This story of Adam is ours. We do try to find equality with God. We do try to already decide God's on our team. We're right so we can feel safe and secure, even though it doesn't, doesn't work. So Jesus didn't do this. And rather, it says, 
he made himself nothing or he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So um, this idea of emptying himself, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Adam tried to fill himself, right? He tried to get more. The, the tree that he ate from, Adam and Eve ate from, was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he was trying to consume more, to fill himself up, to make sure that he had all his bases covered. He didn't need anyone or anything. And then we have the picture of the God-man, Jesus, emptying himself. Emptying himself in order to live in right relationship with other people and with God. And, you know, there's any, if there's any Bible scholars out there listening, any theologians, I, uh, there's a whole big thing here about this idea called kenosis, uh, this term about, uh, about Jesus emptying himself and did he give up his supernatural, some of his supernatural qualities and divinity, but then he wouldn't be God and that would mess up the Trinity and all. I'm not talking about those things today. Okay, you can just keep wondering about that stuff. What's pertinent in this conversation for me today is that Jesus did empty himself, the one who contained all. In John 5.30, he says, I can, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of my Father, which hath sent me. So, I don't know about you, but I don't do well with the feeling of emptiness. Like, if, if there's too much of a dead space, I might reach for my phone, right? I might start scrolling. I might start reading something. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't do well when I'm really hungry a lot of times. I'm not, I haven't been a big faster, okay? Fasting's not, not been my, my strength. Um, if you... If you're a certain number on the Enneagram, it might be your biggest fear. Emptiness might be your, your biggest fear. Um, yeah, I, I, I do so not well with this. I've been known to be just full of it. You know what I'm saying? Just full of it. <laughs> but um, for Christ to take on this, this servant status, this status that, that Paul says, you know, as he quotes this hymn, this is the reason that, that Christ was exalted the name above every other name. So that tells me this is, this is really important to the nature of all creation, of how God made us to function and work best as human beings. He emptied himself. And this gets us back to prayer. Um, many of us have only been taught one kind of prayer, uh, to, to pray by filling up the space with a lot of words. And when we do that, uh, we engage in a type of prayer. I'm going to give you two types of prayer uh, for us to consider as we get to the, the last portion of the sermon here. Uh, two kinds of prayer. The first is uh, cataphatic, and the second is apophatic. And those are Greek words. And, and um, cataphatic just means it's a content-based prayer, right? It's, it's when you you say positive assertions about God, you use words, images, symbols to approach God. 
So the things we've been taught about God from the Bible or from authority figures, we kind of say those things out loud. Litanies, creeds, uh, guided reflections, those kind of things. Um, I, I used to, for many years, I hosted a, 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 a men's prayer group, and these were the only kind of prayers that happened. And, and occasionally, somebody would start coming to this prayer group, and, and they, they would pray a sermon. I'm talking like 15, 20 minutes. I'm talking none of y'all at Christ City would have lasted one session in this prayer, this men's prayer meeting. Y'all, y'all don't got y'all don't got the chops. Okay. So I actually took took this one of these guys aside, cut two of them actually at different times, and said, Hey, look, man, that's that's not what the we're not here to preach sermons in our prayer. Like you gotta leave space and room. Like you're not here to educate us. This is a prayer time. But that that shows part of the limits of this type of prayer. This, this type of praying is important and it's good and it has uses. But when we're talking about this idea of emptying ourselves so that we can make space and room for something else, we need to acknowledge a different kind of prayer. This, this kind of prayer comes from the mystics. Um, it comes from the broader, deeper tradition in Christianity um, that Protestants haven't been so familiar with. So this apophatic prayer is actually content-free. No content, no symbols, no words. You actually actively try through things like centering prayer, breathing prayers, um, through silent meditations, body prayers. You're actually trying uh, to eliminate the content out of you. It sounds kind of like uh, you know Eastern religions, but it's it's right here. I mean, it comes comes straight from our our traditions in Christianity, and the goal is to imitate Christ, who emptied himself. I mean, it's so scary for some of us. We've never spent more than a few seconds in silence, but if if you can relate to these other ways of praying and trying to encounter a deeper relationship with God and trying to act in accordance with your own values, what you believe is right about how we should treat other people, then it might be time to consider these things, to consider prayer uh, in terms of contemplation, uh, these apophatic ways, these content-free ways, these silent meditations, the things that Diane Morgan is, is leading us out in, in at Christ City. When I think about this idea of silence and the space, the emptiness that it creates to be filled, to be filled by God, um, I think about uh, I think about when I went out after being at home for like a month, <laughs> when all the self quarantining stuff was really hardcore, and I remember getting out on a poplar, and I felt like it was too bright. And it was too big, and there was too much going on, and it was really scary. And when you engage in allowing yourself and teaching yourself and having others teach you how to empty yourself so that you can be filled with God, essentially, um, it can feel like that. Fear comes up. Guilt comes up condemnation comes up, meaninglessness comes up, because you're just sitting there. You're not 
making any words or efforts to convince yourself to relieve yourself. You're just sitting there in yourself and it's uncomfortable. Now, um, part of the reason it's uncomfortable is because we have these voices that pop up in our heads that we're actively trying to avoid all the time. That's why we like this cataphatic type of prayer because it fills the space with other voices. But these are voices like our metacritics, uh, the uh, parents, uh, church, teachers, things like that, that tells us you should always be strong, you should always be polite, you should always polite, you should always be pretty, you should always be prepared, successful, these types of things. And then we have these internal voices, the, the ego, uh, inner critic voices that are very insecure. And they make absolute statements like, he doesn't care about me at all, or Nobody, uh, nobody's with me, I'm all alone. And when we start to hear these voices, we want to get away. We want to get away from the silence. But if we have any hope, uh, and this is not the only way, but it's the way we're talking about this morning. If we, if we have... If we want to have any hope of being filled with something greater than the voices of our culture, than the voices that tell us, you're already right, you're already winning, you're already on God's side while the world burns around us. If we want to have any hope of not just constantly needing reassurement from external sources that God's okay with us or that he's going to save us or that he cares about us, and we have to leave room. We have to leave space for silence and emptiness so that God has a chance to fill that space. He wants to fill that space. The indwelling spirit, give it some time to speak. Protestantism that's the type of Christianity that we are in. That's the stream we're in at Christ City Church, what most of you probably grew up in. I know there's some Catholics out there as well. Um, but we have been absolutely um, uh, hyper-focused on getting condemnation taken care of. So talking about how we're saved— and we're not condemned. And this is so important to the Christian message. And yet, it's not the only thing. It doesn't, it doesn't leave us full. And, and many of you already, already know that. We need more as human beings. We need to know that our life has meaning. And we need to experience that grace in more than words. We need to experience it deep within ourselves to have that security. Otherwise, that's why that's why some of us if we don't hear, if we have if and 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 well a lot of these people left the church, but if they if you don't hear Jesus died on the Christ for your died on the cross for your sins in the sermon every Sunday, you freak out. But we need to hear that internally. We need to hear and feel and experience grace in our soul, in our spirit. And the only hope and chance you have of that is leaving some open space. 
is leaving space for the presence of God. And we have a tradition to do that. We have meditative practices. We have contemplation. We have these things. Because people, Christ was not a winner, right? He died on the cross, a criminal's death, under the Roman Empire as a second-class oppressed citizen. And Paul says, for that reason, for the life he lived, for the sacrificial and servant attitude that he had toward others, he was exalted. This requires a deep faith that has to be nurtured. And one of the ways that we can nurture that is through silence, through contemplation, to leave space. So this last thing I want to say, um, you will never get full enough. You'll never hear enough words. You'll never hear enough sermons. You'll never sing enough songs. Those things are good and they're important. But you can never feel safe and whole just by filling yourself up with more. You have to be willing to do what Jesus did and empty yourself, even though it's scary, even though it's hard, and even though you're going to need help. So let's walk in the pattern of our Savior in hopes that we can encounter him in the indwelling Holy Spirit as we seek ways to empty ourselves and find relationship on that deeper level. So thank you guys for joining us uh, virtually this morning. Hope to see many of you um, this evening. If this message was beneficial to you, share it with somebody. Tell them about what we're doing here at Christ City Church. And um, for everybody else and, and all of you listening, God bless, and uh, we'll see you soon.